Martin has been a mental health professional for longer than he cares to remember. For the last 10 years, he's been the founder and managing consultant at Clarity Stress and Trauma. When he isn't travelling to provide support after traumatic events, you'll find him delivering training courses or feeding his chickens. Adam has been a BBC journalist and presenter for over, well, put it this way, he had plenty of hair back then. Using his extensive BBC experience, his company, Adam Kirtley Media, provides media, crisis media, and presentation skills training across the world. He used to feed his own flock of chickens until the fox ate them all. Well, Martin, I think the first thing I want to ask you is a pretty simple question, really. Why do some people fear what could be seen as a distant war so much? Yes, well, it, it does. Um, it does cause fear, doesn't it? And perhaps that's because it's not quite as distant as some wars sometimes are. If it has a, an impact upon us, or if we can see the potential for an impact, then it creates the possibility of change, unwanted change. And so unwanted change creates what? Uncertainty? We don't like uncertainty. We don't, we don't generally speaking, like change, which is outside our control. So this is an uncontrolled, quite uncertain change. What sort of change? Well, you know, I think what we're all aware of is the possibility that the war could somehow expand beyond Ukraine's borders, although it's bad enough what's going on anyway. So not that distant. Potentially, it could get to be a bigger conflict and it creates that nasty uncertainty of what's going to happen. We don't know what and we really haven't got any control over it. And I guess unless you're you know, of mature years, it's something we haven't seen so close to home for a long, long time. Yeah, that's right. Of course, you know, the, the, the Balkan conflict was in the 90s. That was in Europe. Um, I don't as dreadful as it was, I don't think there was the perception then that it was likely to spread in the way that we fear with the Ukraine and the powers involved, you know, were, the military powers involved weren't as huge as uh, as the Russians. But of course, that was a terrible thing that went on. And the, the, the ramifications, you know, still echo in the Balkan countries. Is it normal, Martin, in your experience to have such fears? Is it rational? Oh, this is the classic question, really, isn't it? This is what people quite understandably find themselves worrying about. If I'm feeling like this, if I'm thinking like this, is that normal? Am I normal? Am I strange? Am I weak? Am I having peculiar ideas? Should I be able to just shake it off or what? Um, I, I think the answer to that is that it, it is and it isn't normal. Um, what I mean by that is it's normal when something sufficiently abnormal happens to trigger off these sorts of, you know, thoughts and fears. So if something powerful enough happens, and in a more day-to-day -day way, this could be something like a road traffic accident, for instance, or finding yourself witnessing something unexpected, like a, I don't know, a robbery when you happen to be out at the shops or something of this kind, the kind of thing that would be pretty extraordinary. If that were to happen, then it would be uh, quite an abnormal thing to happen to you, for you to have witnessed this. It's an abnormal thing to have this conflict in Europe. But when such an abnormal thing happens, it is then normal to be affected by that. But we sometimes worry. We worry. We think, you know, are we, you know, is it normal to feel the way I am? What should I make of this? Is there something I can do about it? Am I strange? Am I weak? Am I, you know, what, what, what does it mean? Can there be a sense of guilt? Gosh, you know, they're going through all this trauma in Ukraine and I'm pretty much able to carry on in Winchester or Inverness or Truro or Leamington Spa as much as normal and that makes me feel a bit guilty. Yes, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, if there might be uh, some of that behind the remarkable willingness 
that's been manifesting itself recently to take in uh, Ukrainian refugees and evacuees in, in this country. Um, I'm sure there's lots of reasons motivating um, that generosity by British people. But yeah, a bit of that is that sense of, you know, where they started from before the conflict began was a situation not unlike that of a regular British family with similar concerns, you know, similar technology in their lives, similar interests maybe, and then suddenly that's all ripped away from them, whereas we are relatively comfortable and safe by comparison. I just wonder whether there's a sort of spectrum, I don't know, a, a range of fear and anxiety that people can have. So, you know, everyone's different. Some people might react mildly, think, well, it's a bit worrying. Other people might genuinely panic and think World War III is about to break out. Yes, you're right. I'm quite a believer in the idea of um, spectra, spectrums when it comes to describing uh, you know, sort of human reactions or our attitudes to things. Now, of course, there's more than one spectrum in the way that we, you know, we think of things and some of them run in parallel and some of them kind of cross over each other. But, but yes, yeah, so when you think about thoughts, right, now this is quite important because when people are worried about the way in which their, their concerns about the Ukraine conflict are affecting them, you need, you need to have a way of making sense of that and understanding what's actually going on. So thoughts, yes, you're right, a, a spectrum. At one end, one extreme end, we could suggest that you have very, very negative thoughts, thoughts that people sometimes call catastrophizing, which is where we imagine how this could turn into something much, much worse than it already is. We might you know, worry about a, a nuclear conflict, for instance, or something of that kind. And some of that is probably a bit fantastical. Some of that is probably even beyond the range of what is you know, at all reasonably likely. But then you get the very nasty thoughts about what is indeed going on. They're perfectly you know, realistic. Then in the middle somewhere, there is our usual kind of day-to-day -day experience of a mixture of things which are a little bit upbeat or a little bit downbeat. And broadly speaking, we cope with quite well. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you get into the things that make us feel good or happy that we reflect on in a nice way and right at the end of that spectrum is what you might call wishful thinking when we might hear somebody else say to you oh honestly you've got nothing to worry about everything will turn out absolutely fine just you wait and see and when somebody says that to us in our lives it tends to be in circumstances where where we recognize that that's just wishful thinking where it would be lovely but that's perhaps not the way it's going to go but you know what we don't think about that very much we don't dwell on those very positive ideas, particularly the unrealistic ones. We don't tend to spend much time thinking about that and therefore feeling good about it. Oh no, but at the other end of the spectrum, the negative thoughts, the fearful thoughts, the thoughts that create this anxiety and so on, we do tend to think about those a lot. Our mind not only thinks about what is happening, as far as we can tell, it also thinks about what ifs, what could be worse, thinks about consequences, things about what role we have to play, as you were saying earlier on with that issue about, you know. M m most mm. of which yeah. will probably never happen, though. So we're sort of inventing a problem that might happen in a way, aren't we? Is that fight or flight? Well, we're guarding against. You're right. It's associated with those primitive and basic instincts that we, we think of when we talk about fight or flight, the fight or flight reaction of, you know, a way to save ourselves and the people that we care about in circumstances that are shocking or threatening. And this is what's going on here. It's your mind paying attention to something that feels dangerous, frightening, because who knows, maybe something threatening for us might come of it. So therefore, it's a good idea to think about it. That's the kind of basic instinctive reaction that our mind takes. <laughs>
I wonder if my profession, journalism, is partly to blame for this, Martin, in the coverage of this war. It's wall to wall. We've got the Zoom technology, the Teams technology now. We've got mobile phones, citizen journalism. We are seeing everything that we can see 24 hours a day. That could actually make some people more fearful than they need to be. I'm afraid to say the research shows it does. Yes, research that's been carried out after events like uh, 9-11, the attack on the Twin Towers in, in, in New York and other events, has unfortunately go on, gone on to demonstrate that there is a relationship between the amount of um, media coverage that people absorb and their reactions. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I looked into this a while ago for some American customers. And we were comparing, at the time, it was when there was, uh, you know, the terrorist incidents that were happening, particularly in France. And what we were looking at was the comparison in terms of the amount of media coverage available. And we made the comparison way back with, with like the early 60s, when you'd have Walter Cronkite going on American TV and in his nightly news bulletin, there might be, what, a minute, two minutes covering foreign affairs? Um, and if you were somebody that was very interested, you might have been able to find a little bit more coverage on the radio news or maybe in a few columns of the newspapers. But frankly, that was it. That was your limit. You, there was no, no internet, nowhere else you could go to look. Now, as you say, with a conflict like Ukraine, if you wanted to, you could be looking at stuff and listening to stuff all day. Now, I, I saw an interesting quote recently by um, uh, an academic, a professor from the University of Sussex in the UK, who's an author and has studied the subject. And he was describing how the media take a conflict like the Ukrainian war and use it as, as a vehicle for spectacle and entertainment. Now, it's, it's quite a damning thing to say in a way, but I think that's possibly right. Certainly, I notice that when you watch um, you know, video coverage in the news, whatever the most dramatic bit of footage they've got is, that's the bit that tends to get played again and again and again until something else turns up to replace it. Uh, and those are the things that have the biggest impact on the viewer, of course. Yeah, but we'd be remiss if we didn't cover such a massive story. So I suppose, uh, and certainly the BBC and Sky and, and places like that, they're very sensitive to showing not too much, if you see what I mean. However, um, maybe it's down to the choice of the public to choose just how much they consume. Although, to be honest, and maybe it's just I'm a news junkie, it's pretty compulsive viewing, I have to say, in a ghastly way. But, you know, you kind of want to know constantly what the latest is. I th yes, you're right. That's the trouble, isn't it? Because that's the instinct. And I think many people probably will remember a similar experience, of course, two years ago in the early days of the, the pandemic, having the big impact that it had on our country with lockdown literally two years ago. And you're right, because there is that bit of our mind that wants to know about this in order to be able to understand it and guard against it. But unfortunately, those thoughts then generate reactions we're talking about. Um, we will be drawn to it. You're absolutely right. We're drawn to it. We, we think of it as a sort of a fascination. But a, a bit of it is our mind saying, oh, my God, this is something very serious that could affect me in greater ways. I need to know what's coming. It's a subject for a, a future podcast, I'm sure. But I mean, it is part of it that... And don't want to go into too much detail on this podcast, but is part of it that it is it isn't that far away actually, and and they do 
the, the public walking down the streets, uh, going to the supermarket, they do look awfully like us, don't they? And by that, I mean the majority white population of Ukraine looks like the majority white population of Britain. Well, again, I want to cover this in a future podcast, Martin, but just briefly, is that why maybe we're so fascinated by this one? Oh, it certainly makes a big difference because there are people in the world who we would think of as being quite other to us. I mean, that, you know, that difference between us and them in many cases is, is not even skin deep. But um, but that's not so much the case with the Ukrainians. They, they generally speaking, speak a different language. But um, hey, England played the Ukraine in the Euros last year, didn't they? Um, we have Ukrainian players in the Premiership. It's one of those countries which, you know, at one stage, particularly when um, the Berlin Wall was still up, you know, really did seem like a, a distant land. Not really so much anymore. And as we're discovering now with all of this uh, coverage, when we're seeing all of these Ukrainian refugees as they arrive in Poland and elsewhere and increasingly in, in the UK, yeah, you're right. They seem a lot like us, don't they? So just to wrap this particular one up then, this particular podcast up if people find themselves in this fearful frame of mind that we've been discussing is there anything that they can do to to ease the pain of the fear that they are feeling yes and and really i mean there's oh there's lists of things you could do and indeed if you look around at the moment you'll find that there are there are plenty of people offering you know advice along these lines and it's very relevant i was out this morning walking the dog and met a neighbour. And this subject came up almost instantly without me introducing it. This neighbour talking about the fears and anxieties because of the Ukraine conflict is very, very relevant stuff. So broadly speaking, let's break it down into a couple of things. The first one is I think there's a lot to be gained from just having this level of understanding. Yeah. Will you think about it? Well, of course, you're likely to think about it. Are you likely to be drawn to the coverage? Yes, that would be a normal thing to happen. Is it a good idea? Well, it's probably a perfectly reasonable idea to want to be updated, perhaps on a daily or a twice daily basis, as to, you know, fundamentally, is something very important changed or happened today? That seems reasonable enough to me. Whether or not beyond that you need to be spending a lot of extra time listening to, you know, news coverage or every bulletin on the radio or whatever, um, there is a danger that, as we've said earlier on, too much of that is unhelpful. It's just more and more time spent with your mind dwelling upon really quite frightening and alarming thoughts. So, yeah, it is worth being aware that the more time you spend thinking about it, the more impact it will have on you. Not because there's something wrong with you. That's just a perfectly normal, reasonable thing. So limiting the amount of access that you give yourself to that information. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't know what's going on, but just a limit is a good idea. And then the other side of it really is, what do you like doing? What are things that you like doing that will help to lift your sort of mood? Adam, what would that be for you, do you think? Would it be watching? So this is about distraction, isn't it? This is about uh, I'll find something that I like doing to take my mind off off the awful situation in Ukraine. Uh, What would I do? Well, walking the dog is one of my favourite things. And as you know, we are blessed to live in the countryside. There's plenty of places to go and walk. Uh, So that would probably be my thing that I would do. I I enjoy a bit of gardening, so I might go and do that as well. But also actually interacting with other people in the village. You know, we live in a village, uh, chatting, going for a beer in the local pub and chatting about something else. Although it's very very difficult to find yourself talking about anything else at the moment. But yeah, I think think it's finding things. and, And I think for me, and this is quite important to me as a journalist, is trying to do those things 
uh, not as a distraction in themselves to take my mind off it, but actually to in, enjoy them in, in and of themselves without feeling guilty that I'm somehow not thinking of uh, my fellow human beings in Ukraine, because actually I'm not helping them by worrying about my own reaction to it. I can help them in ways, I don't know, hosting a, a refugee or something. But but me worrying isn't going to help somebody in a bunker in Mariupol, is it? No, you're absolutely right. There is no disservice being done to the Ukrainian refugees by you suffering pointlessly. And even if the things that you're doing to provide you with a pleasant balance to your life can seem, compared to what they're suffering, to be a bit flippant and trivial, well, that's, that's, that doesn't matter. That's, you know, that's, that's just what it is that makes up the balance of our lives. Coming back to your point about the gardening or the walking or something like that, absolutely great if those work. If those are things which when you do them, you find that you're able to engage with them and enjoy what's going on and seeing your other neighbours who are out walking their dogs and checking out how your tomatoes are doing and so on, absolutely fine. Sometimes when people are very troubled by something, they find that those sorts of activities don't seem to do the job. They say, I'm in the garden, but I'm still thinking about it. I'm out with the dog, but I'm still thinking about it. Other people have said to me, well, one of the ways I try to relax is listening to some nice music. But the danger is that what happens is you're still thinking about it. There's just nice music going on in the background. So sometimes, as you suggested, something a bit more interactive is helpful. And if that's going to be the case, and if you find that your, your mind keeps on getting drawn back to those frightening images that you've seen on the news or the ideas that you've got about what's going on, then yes, Find something a little bit more interactive. And as you suggested, probably one of the best things of all is just spending time with people whose, whose company you enjoy and probably trying to steer away from the subject of talking about the conflict all the time. Yeah, spending time with people you love. That is a good way to end, Martin. Um, we'll reconvene uh, with the next podcast. But for now, I think learning about why we fear a war that could seem far away, but actually really isn't, and how to deal with it, I hope has been very helpful for people. Thanks, Adam. I'll look forward to the next one. Well, that's it for this time. Do follow us to get an alert when our next podcast is available. And you can contact Martin on martinalderton at claritysat.com. And Adam on adamkirtleymedia.co.uk. Join us again next time.